Hello, and welcome to Anything But Traditional. I'm your host, Marvin Spee, and I'm so happy that you are here today to listen in to this episode with Kayla Haber-Goldstein. I've known Kayla in passing over the years, but we become a lot closer as she has her Instagram page, Questioning the Answers, and I have my Instagram page, Tales of Tamar. In this episode, you get to hear one of our conversations, which is kind of different because unlike a lot of other podcast guests where, you know, it's maybe a little bit more formal, here it's very natural. Here it's just two friends talking, discussing life, discussing intense topics, discussing what we've gone through, sharing, relating, understanding one another. Kayla has had a crazy journey and it left me dumbfounded a bunch of times, but it's just remarkable what some people can go through and still overcome. And Kayla Haber-Goldstein is exactly one of those people. In this episode, you'll hear of how she made Aliyah, how she moved back to America, how she wants to move back to Israel, how... She went on a crazy religious journey over the years, and her struggles with having children is not easy. She has two beautiful children, but having a third is really a challenge. So in this episode, there's a lot to unpack, but we also do it in a very fun way, a fun-loving, (laughs) friendship-building way that is different, but I think you guys will really enjoy it. It's a little bit more chilled back, relaxed, cozy, and uh, yeah. So get your cup of coffee or your hot chocolate, cuddle up with a blanket, and enjoy this episode. You're really in for a treat. Thanks, Kayla, for coming on. Hello, everybody. I'm here today with Kayla Haber-Goldstein, my good friend, who is the author of the best-selling book, Questioning the Answers, and a public speaker teaching about why we do what we do and finding your own connection to God. Together with her husband, Rabbi Shmuel Goldstein, a guy that I know from Camp Hask, shout out Camp Hask, they currently serve as the Associate Rabbi and New Rebison in Congregation Best to Feel in Paramus, New Jersey. Kayla has recently become involved in the Aguna crisis. Always open for conversation, to offer a helping hand, or to answer any questions. You can always reach out to her directly via Instagram or email. So I guess we'll start with that. <laughs> Kayla, what is your Instagram handle and what is your uh, email address so that if people do want to reach out to you, how can they reach out to you? So my Instagram is questioning the answers. Um, and then my email is just Kayla Haber at gmail.com. It's just very, it's very simple. Awesome. So we normally start with your background, but I kind of want to start in a different way. Let's start with questioning the answers. How did you come up with the idea of questioning the answers? Of the book? Of the book, of the Instagram page, of the whole persona i didn't really come up with the idea it more um very naturally evolved out of me 
Um, I grew up very like standard Haredi religious, um, very much did what was expected of me, didn't really think too much about it. And when life got hard, as it does, um, I kind of just dropped it. I was just like, okay, this is, uh, I don't have time for this right now. And there was no meanings. There was nothing really holding me in it. So I kind of just little by little dropped it. Um, not outwardly, but in, internally. And then I had a very dramatic moment where I kind of just got really mad at God and dropped all of it completely. And then slowly worked my way back. I slowly started asking questions, started figuring it out. Like, what is this? What is this religion? What is this thing that so many people believe in? Like, what is it? And I started asking questions and taking notes. And eventually friends started asking me for my notes. So I started sharing them. Somebody convinced me to open an Instagram account on a deer. So I did. Um, and then people started asking questions on Instagram that got added to my questions and added to my notes. And then I started sharing the, the Google Doc. And um, eventually, my niece convinced me to publish my notes. So it became a book. It was very like evolved. It wasn't a decision. Wow, that's incredible. That's very uh, inspiring. Every time I talk to you, Kayla, I feel like I learned so much from you and then I know that moving to Israel is something that is a challenge for you, but um, yeah, I would love for you to move here one day because I love having you as a friend. You mean a lot to me and I, I am looking forward to the day that I can live there. But meanwhile, we can be, we're, we're, we are friends. I mean, every time I come to Rabbi Shemesh, we hang out, but also like over so many of my friends live in Israel, like majority of my friends actually live in Israel. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But you also have a lot of friends from Instagram these days. Like, that's also very interesting about you that I know that you just from our conversations, you've always said that you have a lot of people that really like you hardcore relate to from Instagram. So maybe you opened it up as a dare, but it seems to be so much more than just so more than a dare. I opened it five years ago. It, it has become, first of all, yeah, definitely a source of social for me. But like, I have people in my house every single job is that I met on Instagram. The people in my school think it's hilarious. Like people, they'll always be like, oh, how'd you meet? Oh, Instagram. Like it's, the, it's funny. It's ridiculous how many friends I made on Instagram that are real life connection friends. I feel like even me and you, like, even though I know you from like around, we became friends yeah. on Instagram. Like Instagram yeah, yeah. has become a, a questioning the answer has become like a really nice safe space for me besides for when like the occasional like hater comes in but <laughs> really it's like really just a nice place where I meet people who I relate to because I'm I'm very authentic and honest there about my spiritual journey so I I meet people who are in the same place as me yeah no for sure really rewarding I also feel that way I know that a lot of people I met a lot of people that are struggling uh, with infertility or have struggled with infertility because of Tales of Tomorrow. And I, I don't think my fertility journey would have been the same or would be the same, I guess, because we're still struggling with it <laughs> um, without, you know, my Instagram. Like, it's a, it's a very big source of Hudsuk strength for me, and I uh, really appreciate it. So I definitely relate to that. Yeah, um, support system. If 100%. You find the right people on it. Yeah, you got to find the right people, but <laughs> it goes like the worst thing for you ever, but if you have the right like if you are very authentic about what you're going through, then you'll attract those people. 
great. It's also hard, I think, sometimes. And I think one of the reasons why I'm creating this podcast is because so often we do look at social media and also real life sometimes and we're like, everyone has what we don't have, right? Like, we always feel like we're the odd one out, like we're anything but traditional, that we're just different than the ordinary, that everyone fits into this box, but what about us? Um, And I think that that's a very big reason why I'm creating this podcast, because I do think it's important to bring voice to people that don't necessarily fit the mold, don't necessarily fit into the box. People tell me like all the time that they're jealous of me because I'm so lucky because I have it all and I have everything and I have no struggles. And I'm like, you don't know because you don't know from Instagram because I'm not going to sit on Instagram and air my dirty laundry just because it's not because I'm trying to pretend I have a perfect life. It's just because I'm, I'm not right. the kind of person who for sure on when I'm sad. And funny how many people, and I always want to tell them, like, and I have girls who come to me for shops and they're like, yeah, but you don't know because you never struggled. And look at your amazing husband and look at your amazing life. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, let me tell you something. You're like, I live in America. Let's start there. <laughs> Let's start with where I live, okay? Like, just, it's it's funny. And I always explain to people because I'm, I'm, I'm open and I'm happy to talk about it just like in a real conversation about what I've gone through and stuff. But like, it's just funny how people are always like, well, you are very lucky. And I'm like, I am, but not because of the reasons you think. <laughs> For sure. And no, absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, people look at me and Giddy often and they're like, you guys have an incredible marriage. And like, thank God we really do. And part of that is the fact that our love language is the same, which makes it really easy. <laughs> like our love language is both acts of service so like me and Giddy are both always like doing things for each other because like we're like here like let me help you with this like let me help you with that and like Baruch Hashem you know it does work out but people don't realize that we've also had our moments of shoot who did we marry you know and shoot like everybody has that yeah yeah everybody has it promise people don't talk about it so everybody thinks that they're the only ones who have it 100%. 100%. No, I, I I really agree with you. And, you know, when people talk about Corona, for instance, I, like, literally get the chills when people talk about Corona. I, I, I can't. Like, I, I can't look at masks. Looking at a mask, to me, is, like, the most PTSD thing ever because I literally, like, I thought I was going to lose my husband during the time of Corona. Like, it, it was something that I think people don't even realize and when people ask me, you know, tomorrow, why do you start your page? I'm like, well, Corona hit and I was paused on fertility treatment. And then my husband went crazy with anxiety. And then I didn't know what to do with my life. And I was very stressed. And then they told me I couldn't even start treatment again because and then, and then, and then, and then, and I'm like, and so I started my page and I'm like, that's the story. You know, like I always knew I had a voice and I always knew that I could talk and that I have a lot of life experience and all that. But that was really the Icar when I was like, I just need something to like hold on to here. And um, yeah, yeah. support system. Exactly, exactly. And and thank God it's worked out very nicely. So anyways, Kayla, back to your life and uh, back to, you know, we have a lot to unpack here. So I like talking about your life better. <laughs> but I'm always here to listen to you. 
By the way, sometimes when I need a boost of confidence, um, I remember our conversation at uh, Greg's, and I tell myself, I'm like, tomorrow you're really easy to talk to. <laughs> and you I like... Are. <laughs> you're so easy to talk to. I want to rest about this podcast and everything. I'm usually like a little nervous. But I was like, oh man, I, I'm... Yeah, I was just like, I tell myself that. I'm like, tomorrow. You may not have money. You may not have a. You may not have bought a house. You might not have children, but you're easy to talk to. So keep going. <laughs> but you make people smile, and that's a big deal. <laughs> yeah, thank God, thank God. Um. Okay, so Kayla, back to your life story. Let's start at the very beginning. Where did you grow up, and what was your family like? You know that that's like a hard question to answer, right? Yeah. So I was born in Australia, in Melbourne. You were? Mm-hmm. But you don't have an Australian accent. No, I we moved out of Australia when I was two. Oh, and your family was like Shlichut there, or your family like was born there? Not Chabad, Shlichut. My family's not Chabad, but my father was sent there by Rav Scheinberg. Um, oh. And he, he was a rabbi there. And then they lived there for six years, during which I was born. And then when I was two years old, they moved to Muncie. And we lived in Muncie for eight years. My father was the rabbi of a shul there. And then we made Aliyah. Did you know Shmuel's family from? No. No, because they're from Muncie. No, but his sisters were in my school in the grade oh. below me. And his mom, like, literally was, like, the mom who made my hair before a picture day. So funny. And. He was in my house because he came to get a bracha from Rosheinberg. Like, we literally, our lives, like, were completely parallel, but I didn't know him. Wow. He made Aliyah the same summer. Wow. Wait, his whole family made Aliyah? His family made Aliyah when he was 12 years old, yeah. Oh, wow. I don't think I knew that. Okay, but they don't live in Israel now. No, they they don't live in Israel anymore. Wow. Okay, so let's break it down. So you were in Muncie, and you made Aliyah when you were how old? I made Aliyah a week after my 10th birthday. Um, Happy birthday. And, <laughs> and yeah, great birthday present. Um, what? It was. It was the best birthday present ever. It, retroactively, it was, but I was not happy about it at the time at all. I thought we were all going to die. I was absolutely terrified. And we moved in 2003, so it was in the middle of the Intifada. Oh, wow. And it was very scary. I thought my parents had completely lost their mind. I was also 10, so I didn't really fully grasp. I'm the 10th of 11 children, so nobody really, like, sat down and took time to explain to me anything that was going on because it's a huge family. Um, and it was just kind of like, we're going. And I was like, we're going to die. Like, we are going to die. I was so scared. But it turned out okay. We moved to Israel. We lived in Yerushalayim for a good amount of years. And then when I was... 15 or 16, my parents moved to Ramah Pichamash. Wow. So what made your parents decide to make Aliyah, especially during the middle of the Intifada? So my my parents got married in Israel. Um, my, my, my parents both made Aliyah when they were 14, separately. Oh, wow. With their families? No, by themselves. Wow. That's cool. Yeah, that's like a whole other podcast episode. But like they each have... My, my parents have like very crazy cool stories. And my parents are very emotionally strong unique people you're gonna get your dad on one day right oh uh, honey i'll do it but i he will know but i will try um for all who don't know uh kayla's dad is the rav of ksy Kayla shifty you sharon 
Um, and his name is Rabbi Yaakov Haber. My, my father is half Sephardi. My parents got married in Israel and they moved to America uh, about two years later, I think, when my oldest brother was born. Um, Rav Steinberg sent my father to Buffalo, New York to like be Mahazik, the community. Oh. And every year my parents would call and be like, is it time to come home? And every year he would say no. And at a certain point it became just like a uh, tradition. Like they just called and they were like, should we come home? And they said no. And this went on for 24 years. So if you think I want to move to Israel, just imagine my mom. Okay. <laughs> and she didn't have WhatsApp and, and international phone calls and everything. She was like all by herself up there in Buffalo. Uh, having like child after child, but she's a very strong woman. Um, and then the twin towers went down and they called Rosh Scheinberg and he said, it's time to come home. Wow. So they did. They picked up all their 11 children and everything that they had and they made Aliyah. And how old was the oldest? So my brother was married already. The oldest was married already. I was 10, so he must've been 25. Wow. Um, and they moved with like six teenagers. Like they, they just moved. <laughs> like they just didn't think about it. They just moved. And how many are currently in the States versus currently in Israel? There is five of us in the States, six of us in Israel. Oh, there's five of you in the States. Yeah. One is in LA, four in the tri-state, and the rest are in Israel. Oh, so that's so nice for you that you have family. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's new that I have family like near me. It's pretty new because my brother was in Virginia and like I have a sister in the five towns, like it's far, but um we actually had for the first time I had them all for, over for Hanukkah, the three ones the three siblings that live in the tri state. I had a Hanukkah party and it was so nice. It was like really, really nice. Wow. And you guys are all married. All eleven of you are married. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's incredible. It's crazy. For sure. So Okay, so you came to Israel, and what was, what was it like making Aliyah when you were ten years old? Besides for that, you were terrified, and you thought everyone was gonna die because of intifada. It sucked. It was the worst experience ever. It honestly sucked. I mean, like, I'm so happy it happened because I love Israel, but like, and, and it made me who I am. But it really sucked. We we were sent to school in Matasdarp because that's where Rav Scheinberg was, and that's what my parents knew. Um, so we went to Beis Yaakov Matasdarf, which was a real, real shock. I went from like a terrace, which is like this out of town Beis Yaakov. I had 10 girls in my class to like going to this like factory where there were four classes in my grade and every class had 40 girls. And I didn't speak a lick of Hebrew. And like, I was just like, what is happening? And everybody was like way more religious than me. And I thought I was pretty religious because I was like the daughter of a huge rabbi, but like, no, everybody there was like insanely, like my mom drove a car and that was like blasphemy. Like that was like, oh my God, your mom drives a car. Like, who are you even? Meaning the man should be driving the car, not the woman. Yeah. Like most of the women, I think nowadays the women do drive, but back then it was like, not like a thing. And like, it was just very intense. It was a very, very big culture shock. It was a language shock. It was just like everything about my life changed. And I started getting into trouble all the time, but like not on purpose, just by mistake. Like I was doing the wrong thing all the time because I didn't know what the right thing to do was. And I had a friend, Zizi, who like would sit next to me and she, her parents were my parents' best friends. So like we knew each other and like I was left back a grade just so I could be in class with her. 
and wow. she spoke English, so she would try really hard. We're still like best friends still today, but she would like try really hard to like explain to me like what was going on, or she would translate it to me, or like she would translate for me to the teacher. She literally once had to turn around and be like, Kayla, you're being kicked out of class. You need to get up and leave. Like I didn't even know that I was getting like it was ridiculous. It was absolutely ridiculous. And it got to a point where I just stopped trying. And I kind of just coasted my way until I got kicked out. Uh, I got kicked out of like multiple schools. I just kept getting kicked out. I kept getting in trouble. It was just like, and I, I wasn't a bad kid. I just, I stopped at a certain point. I did stop trying. I was just like, oh, I cannot handle you, but it wasn't enjoyable. It was not an enjoyable experience. I only started really liking Israel when I left the school system. So when you were like 18? No, I left the school system when I was 15. Wow. So what did you do after you were 15? I was kicked out of school in the beginning of 10th grade. And I went, I was kind of home for a few months working for my father. I was like his secretary, whatever. And then there was a school in Australia that called my dad and was like, we're looking for substitute teachers. Do you know any girl who would be willing to come to Australia for a few months? And my dad, who was super worried about me, just like chilling at home, doing nothing all day was like, yes, I have a daughter. <laughs> and within 24 hours, I kid you not, I was on a plane to Australia. It was the most dramatic thing. And I stayed there for a few months. I lived by someone's house, the Kimmelman's house. And I taught pre I taught pre-K and I taught second grade. And I did the wow. room. Um, it was so surreal because it was a Hasidish community that was doing Kirov on me the entire time. And I was just like, where, like, where am I? Like, what is happening? That was kind of the beginning of like the most ridiculous life that ever happened with the most crazy experiences. But it was, it was very interesting. And then I came home for my sister's wedding. Um, and I decided I wanted to go to college. I wanted to be an architect. So I spent, my sister's wedding was right before Pesach. So I spent from Pesach until the end of the school year, I did all the bagria for all four years. So I had a cousin who unfortunately has passed away since then, but she was the principal of a Russian like boarding school. Wait, she was your age? Like she was around your age? Yeah, she was, she was like my mom's age. Oh, okay. Um, She had cancer. So she found out what happened to me and she enrolled me in her school for all four classes. So I was in ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, and 12th grade in the same year. And she would just text me and she'd be like, you have a bagra on Sunday and this is your material. Go study. And then I'm going to do the bagra. And then she did that for the next one. Like I would study for three days, do a bagra study. And I did like the bagra for all four years until I graduated high school that summer. Wow. That's crazy. So you basically just studied for the Bhagavad Literally, like, study for the Bhagavad did it, forgot all the material. Study for the Bhagavad did it, forgot all the material. Like, literally cannot tell you a single thing I learned. But right. I just memorized the information. Um, Wait, that means that you're really smart also. Like, that means that you're I, I am brilliant. Smart. I am not, yeah. It's not like, to me, it's wow. not like a, it's just the way I was born. That's incredible. I'm, I mean, you probably also were very bored in school then, right? Like, I feel like you were probably like, what is this? Except that you didn't know Hebrew. Probably. I never thought of that. But yeah. Like, once I learned Hebrew. Yeah. Right. Wait, so now are you fluent in Hebrew? 
Yeah, yeah. I moved when I was 10. So, like, now at this point, like, I speak Hebrew as well as I speak English, if not better. Wow, that's awesome. Okay, so you went to college to get an architect degree? Yeah, I became an architectural engineer. Okay. Not an interior designer. No, not an interior designer. But then why are you an interior designer? Because I got married while I was in college. So I started college when I was 17. I graduated when I was 21. I got married when I was 20. And I had my baby, my first baby when I was in college also. Um, that was like a whole nother crazy story. Because I broke my foot the week before I gave birth. And I had to like present my final project to the government in Israel. It's like through the government, your degree. So you have to present it to members of the government. And like the, the whatever, Mahat, whatever. And I was literally like holding a two-week-old baby with a broken foot, presenting like this insane. It was the most chaotic. Like the guy was like, "Can you please sit down? You're stressing me out." <laughs> like I like, just say, "I don't care." Present it sitting. I don't care. It was very funny. But I passed. And the week after I graduated college, we moved to America. What and... brought you to America? Um. Why you? So my husband has smicha from YU and we never planned to move here. We started off in YU. He did three years. And in his last year, um, the administration changed in Yeshiva University. In Israel, Yeshiva University in Israel. And the new Rosh Yeshiva. Oh, in America. In America. And the new Rosh Yeshiva, uh, I think Rabbi Penner, maybe, I don't remember his name. Um, demanded that everybody do a year in America. There were four couples in our situation who had not done any time in America and had one year left in their smicha. And we all thought we would be like grandfathered in, but he was very adamant that we have to spend the year in America. So we, at the time, we were like married for a year, about a little over a year. And we lived very close to both of our parents. And we needed a little bit of space just to become ourselves. So we kind of jumped on the opportunity to like live in America for the year. It'll be a fun experience. We'll get some space. We'll have like our Shona Rishona and then we'll come back. And we never came back. So after you graduate, well, can you say that you graduated high school or you kind of just, (laughs) what do you think? I mean, I have a diploma. So yeah. Okay, cool. So when you graduated high school at 15? 16. 16. My birthday's in the summer. When, when's your birthday? July 25th. Oh, fun. Okay. Yes. Um. So I, I don't know. People think I'm crazy, but I'm like, I like that day. I don't like that day. That day doesn't sound so good. I love my birthday. By the way, my birthday, I celebrated July 24th for the longest time. And then I found my birth certificate and I was like, that's not my birthday. <laughs> I was like, my birthday's July 25th. How did that happen? My parents have a lot of kids. <laughs> it's fine. Whatever. It is what it is. Wow. Um, well, I I have a very good friend who we always talk about it because I, my, I, I'm I very big into compensation. <laughs> and my birthday, my dad died five days after my eighth birthday. Um, and so I hated my birthday for a while. And then I became obsessed with my birthday to compensate mm-hmm. So I like everyone knows my birthday, uh, January twentieth. So um, yeah, no. So basically, I always tease my friend because my friend has nine kids, and she's like, 
I don't know any of my children's birthday, but I know your birthday. <laughs> and I'm like, that's the most important. <laughs> yeah, it's the best. But um, wow, that is a crazy story that I feel like you just are hitting us with all these whammies, Kayla. You like really I feel like my life has been like a little bit dramatic. So like I kind of just like stopped being like I stopped like getting excited from it because I'm just like, hey, whatever. It's just another like Well yeah. I, I definitely feel you. I definitely feel you. It's kind of like when I went out to eat with my sister and my brother one time, like during COVID, but like not in the beginning of COVID, you know, like July of COVID. And <laughs> we went out to eat and um, I'm talking with them and whatever. And they're like, yeah, what do you think? Of course you would have struggled with infertility. Like you struggle with everything. I'm like, thanks, guys. <laughs> God. Oh, my God. But that's the reality. <laughs> um, but I, 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 I've learned to laugh at my pain. I literally can write a book of all the stupid comments I've gotten, and I'm sure you could also. We definitely should. I mean, I already started compiling a bunch of stories of stupid things that people have said to me, and um, yeah, I work on that book. <laughs> um, what do you feel of the stupidest thing that anybody's ever said to you? I've had like I had a family member tell me that I can't come visit her until I'm pregnant and like she still holds by it today bold drop people are insane like people don't understand also because I have two children so people think it's my choice that's insane and then they judge wow I like can't even I can't even think like that's crazy it's not really fathomable it's like okay you're psychotic (laughs) yeah we're just not going to be that close to you anymore. That's fine. Wow. Well, they don't want you to see her anyway, so get that. I'm like, all right. See you. Never. <laughs> like, what do you want my life? Wow, that's so crazy. Yeah, no, I, uh, there was one time that I was sitting with a family member, and they were like, Tamar, you don't even understand. People are dying to be in your situations, to go out with just them and their husband without their kids. I'm like, don't think anyone's dying to be in my situation, but let's go with that one. <laughs> Sounds great. Sounds great. Wow. So, okay. So when you graduated high school and you started to love Israel, as you said, what made you love Israel? Um, I don't even know. Like, I don't know. It just became, I think when I went to Australia, like I really missed it. And then like when I came back, I was like, never mind. I don't want to go back. Like I like it here. Wow. I didn't want to leave Israel. And then when I was dating, I was like, you know, like they ask you, what are you looking for? And I was like, I just want to live in Israel. I really don't care about anything else. And I got set up with my husband because my sister-in-law asked my husband what he's looking for. And he was like, I just want to live in Israel. I don't really care about anything else. And she set us up as a joke because she was like, you guys have nothing in common. And there's no reason you should get married. And this is a terrible idea. But I'm going to set you up to show you that you have to say more than just one thing. Anyways, jokes on her. We got married. But we don't live in Israel. So, oh. So jokes on you guys. <laughs> don't say. <laughs> Whatever. Hashem has a good sense of humor, basically. Hashem definitely has a good sense of humor. Um, but I guess over the past eight years, you've also learned to, like, absence makes the heart grow fonder. So I'm sure that it's been I don't, I don't, I think that it was just that, like, Israel is my home. So Israel is where, like, my childhood friends are. It's where my parents are. It's where the majority of my family is. It's where, like, 
it's where I grew up. It's what I know. It's my, it's become my culture. Like in a funny way, I'm like kind of now at this point, like a mix. I'm not really sure what my culture is anymore, but like for a long time, I was like, I, I, I feel when I'm here and I'm surrounded by non-Jews and I'm surrounded by Christmas lights, literally, literally surrounded by Christmas lights. And like you go to Target and you're surrounded by Christmas trees and like, you're like, like, it doesn't feel like home. And especially now once the war broke out and like, there's all this anti-Semitism. Me and my husband went to a concert that had absolutely nothing to do with Israel, nothing to do with the Palestinians, nothing to do with nothing. And we went to this concert and there was like a gigantic pro-Palestinian protest outside the concert, screaming genocide to the Jews, death to the Jews. Like you go high, well, we go high, we charge you with genocide. Like this whole like thing. And I was just like, uh, and then I, like, I got my necklace, put it on. I was like Jewish pride. Girl, I decorated my whole house for Hanukkah. Everybody drives by, knows that this is a Jewish home. Like, we stand with Israel. You all suck. But, like, at the same time, I'm like, I don't belong here. And it's a ticking time bomb. And I belong in Israel. And Israel's my home. And once I started learning more, I also started connecting more to different, like, people in our history and different stories. And going to Israel, like, this past summer, I went to on a trip with my father. We went up north. We came to Israel and we went up north. And he took me to the cave that Rabbi Shemar Yochai hid in for 12 years. And like, you're standing in the cave that Rabbi Shemar Yochai hid in for 12 years. Like, you, there's nothing like that in America. You're not going to find, like, okay, there's Amazon. Well, like, <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> like, that's the end of it. So we're here and we have, yeah. while we're here, we're going to do whatever we can for Hashem. And like, you know, we, we are a Rabbi Nerebitzin and like, we teach a lot of Torah and we do a lot of things in our houses and open house and we're foster children and like whatever it is that we need to do here you have foster children yeah we're like in the front yeah i don't talk about it so much on my instagram because of like you're not supposed to talk you can't really talk about it but um we did an uh, in pomona um unofficially we did it for people who didn't want to go through the system so the police station or cps would give them 24 hours to find a friend and if they don't find a friend they go into the system so a lot of times it would go on whatsapp chats or whatever and we would end up taking the baby um, and then when we moved to New Jersey, we live in Paramus. Now we decided to do it officially. So now there's an organization called Bridges and we're in the process of becoming like a certified foster home. Wow. That's incredible. Do you know if something like that exists in Israel? Yeah, I'm sure it exists in Israel. I, I have to find out more information about it. For sure has something. Yeah. Interesting. Here specifically that for Jewish babies that they shouldn't go to non-Jewish homes. That's what Bridget is. Yeah. And who run all these organizations. Yeah. Do you have a preference on like who you take in or you're not? Um, I, I prefer to take in Jewish babies just because I feel like there's a shortage of Jewish foster homes. But I'm thinking like older. Oh, you mean yeah. age wise? We don't take in teenagers. Got it. Cause I have no kids. Great. Um, no. I, for me, it's more like if I can be like a bright spot in a child's life, because people always like, don't you get attached? But like, I'm like, if that child can look back at their childhood and have a positive memory somewhere in there, like, I'm so happy to be that positive memory. And like, anything I can do to help further, I would do. But like, a lot of times, it's just about providing somewhere safe for them to be. Great. No, I, I totally hear that. I totally hear that. Okay, so there's been a lot to unpack here. Um, and I know that we're switching around a bunch of different directions, but I want to know what were your expectations for your life when you were growing up? So you had this crazy life 
moving to Israel when you were 10 years old and then not really doing so well in the school system. So you graduated at at 16 and then you went to college. What were your expectations for your life when you were growing up and how did these expectations change over the years? So it, it sounds like I had a crazy life, but really there was one very simple expectation um, that I would grow up and I would marry uh, Yeshiva Buffer and I would be an architect and I would support him and he would learn as long as possible and then he would get a job and fit off. And, you know, there was kind of just like this expectation. I didn't really look outside the box because I was little. But everybody around me was doing that. All my siblings did that. Like, you know, they, they married yeshiva bachers and like they like stayed in the Haredi system. Um, when I started dating, I I didn't know a thing about what I wanted for my life. Like a goddamn thing. I knew I wanted somebody who was going to love me. I wanted somebody who was going to be a safe place for me. Um, and I knew I didn't want to stay in the Haredi system. I had such a terrible experience and I was being from because I didn't want to lose my family. I, Hashem wasn't part of the equation. I didn't even know he existed. But I knew that I didn't want to marry someone from the Haredi system. So my, I told my father this um, and he was like, okay, so I'm going to find you the best of the best of the other system. So he went to YU and he went to YU Smicha and found the best guy in YU Smicha. And my brother helped him and like he met my husband before I did. Wow. And he was like, okay, you can marry him. And then I did. <laughs> Wait, but I saw that your sister-in-law set you up because of Israel. Sister-in-law set me up. My brother was a madrif. My brother was a sholemeship in Torah Shraga. And Torah Shraga shares a building with Gross, with YU in Israel. So my father basically was like, go to YU Smicha and find her a guy. <laughs> so that's what he did. So they interviewed a bunch of people and were like... My brother had home so like Bachram were always coming and then my sister-in-law kind of chose Shmuel for me nice I was very close to my sister-in-law I still am very close to my sister-in-law so she knew me very well and she knew what I wanted and she I mean she picked him as kind of like a joke but she picked him for me wow that's awesome so okay so did your expectations live up to that like obviously you married so when I married him, my expectations had already shifted. So like, meaning growing up, I had one expectation. And then when it came time to actually fulfill that expectation, I was like, wait, I want a working guy. Like one second, because I was watching my sisters, frankly, struggle. And I was like, I don't want that. Like, I don't want to struggle. I want to be okay. And <laughs> I wanted a working guy. Um, and then I married Shmuel. I kind of expected my life to be the same, but like with a colored shirt. Does that make sense? Like I was yeah. like, my dad has a white shirt. My brothers have white shirts. Like Shmuel wears colored shirts. Like I kind of expected it to be the same, but like a little bit more chill. Like he'll work and then he like won't wear white shirts. And like, he won't be like on me about like my skirt length. And like, he didn't care if I wore socks. Like, it, like it was like more like the same life, but more chill. Anyways, come to find that I married a chassid. Lo and behold. <laughs> And I was like, what the actual? And then we got married. And first of all, I had a huge culture shock because even though my in-laws will kill me if they ever heard me say this, like they are modern Orthodox if you compare them to my family. And it was a huge culture shock. Like everything was different. Everything was so, so strange to me. Like random things, like my brother-in-law would hang out with me. And I'd be like, why are you hanging out with me? Like that is inappropriate. And she was like, it's not inappropriate. 
your brother-in-laws are just incredibly super from. Like, I didn't even like know what to do. Like, I have a brother-in-law who doesn't look at me when he talks to me. Like, I mm. didn't know what to do with like this new family that's just chilling in a pool together. Like, what? And they were like, why are you not getting in the pool? And I was like, how in the world would I get in the pool? My father-in-law's in the pool. Like, I don't even understand. Like, it was a huge culture shock. And what's funny is that my husband was like on his path to becoming more and more and more religious. And I was like, I just went out. Well, wait, let's talk about that for one second. You said that you wanted out, but you also were saying that you were like very strict. And then what made you decide from going very strict to being like, okay, I'm done. Um, I, I think I was done from when I started being abused in school. Like I was just like, this is not Judaism. This is not Hashem. This is BS and I'm not into it. So wouldn't the culture shock be like, you know, be more modern? Be Oh, I liked it. Great. But it just took me time, but I liked it. And if you ask me now who I'm more similar to, I'm way more similar to my in-laws. If anything, they're more religious than me. But like literally, but it was, it wasn't like necessarily about like skirt length. It was more just about like the way that they talk to each other and hang out with each other. And like, it's a whole different family culture. So what, what ended up happening was that like my life kind of took this like unexpected turn where like I was expecting to kind of be in a relationship where like a lot of people I know who are religious, they're from, they go through the motions, but like they cut corners wherever possible. And like, they're not really in it. And like, they like find ways to like do whatever they want within the confines of like doing the motions. That's kind of what I was expecting. And it's what I wanted because I, that's all I knew. I knew option one or option two. I didn't know that there were other 700 options. And then my husband was like, let me teach you something called Hasidus. There's this guy from Weinberger. This guy? Yeah. He's like, what do you mean? Like, you want my children to like wear tights and like speak Yiddish? Like, I was like, what are you even saying? Like, I was like, this is a mistake. This was a mistake. Like, what did I do? I was looking to get out and I managed to marry like the promised guy in my family, like legitimately. And he, he basically explained to me what the idea of what Ruth Weinberger teaches and the idea of com- combining all the chassidiyot to go back to Teresa Hashem Tov and to, you know, what chassidus is and it's nefesh mitzvah and con- con- connecting to the mitzvah and it's not so much about going through emotions. Actually, that doesn't really matter so much. <laughs> it's more about what you feel. And he introduced me to this like whole new way of life. And it was very interesting. And I like watched it from afar while I slowly dropped more and more stuff. Cause I, I think I needed to like leave in order to come back correctly. Like I needed to. I mean, that's what the Rambam says, right? Yeah. That like you have to go to one totally a different end of the spectrum to go back. To find the center. Um, And then, and then, then the whole thing happened where I, and I just kind of just had my whole journey. Like I, I had that final push and it was. So what happened on that journey? So um, when my daughter was 10 months old, I found out I was pregnant with my son and he was a surprise to say the least. And um, I was very sick throughout his pregnancy. And then when he was born, I hemorrhaged. So I had a clinical death and I was clinically dead for 26 seconds total for three minutes, but like actually 26 seconds. And then I was in a coma for a bit. And while I was there, I, I thought I was dying and I experienced the near death experience. Um, 
I was very angry when they woke me up. I did not want to wake up. I wanted to die. I didn't, I did not want to come back to my life. I did not like my life at all. It was a very difficult life at the time. Like in every aspect of everything, it was just hard. And, um, <clears throat> I was very angry that they woke me up. And for a few months I was very suicidal. I kept trying to go back to that like place of peace. Um, and then I kind of just turned on God and I got really, really angry. And I was like, who are you? Like, what the heck? Like, I just cannot like my life. I was like, I'm just done. I'm just done with you. Like, you suck. I'm not your punching bag. I'm 23 years old. And I've been through like enough for like a lifetime. Like I'm done. And, and then I started like somebody actually were co-author, um, who I think, you know, um, of he, he had said something to me. I don't think he even remembers saying it, but he said something like off the cuff to me. He was like, well, I go, I get that you have questions, but like everybody who has questions, do you, are you finding answers? Like everybody has questions. Are you going to have questions? Or are you going to find answers? Are they excuses or are they questions? And I was like, fine, I'll find answers for you. Like I had no interest, like none, but what made you decide to talk to Rav Kowalser? My husband spoke to him. Oh, wow. My husband said, he was like, listen, I love her. I'm not going to get divorced, but we have two children together. I'm a rabbi of a shul and she doesn't keep Shabbos. Like what, how are we supposed to navigate this? Like he didn't want, I was like, let's just get divorced. Like, obviously. <laughs> and he was like, I don't want to. Like, he was like, if you want to, like, We'll do it, but I'd rather see if we can make this work. We were separated for three months. It wasn't an official separation. Like I just left because I was very depressed and I needed to go home and I needed my dad. Like I needed my support system. I needed my father. I needed. Wait, so you left for three months and came to Israel? Yes, I just picked my kids up and went to Israel. I was like, I, I didn't even, it wasn't like I'm leaving you. It wasn't like, I was just like, I cannot be here. I need to be home. I need to be with my father. I need to be in Israel. I need to be able to like, just be. I was, it was like America, it's like drains me. And then like I go to Israel and I recharge and I come until I'm empty again. And it's, it has never changed. I still do that. Wow. I was empty. I was so empty and I was alone and I had two kids under the age of two and I was beyond ill, like beyond. And my son was three months old. Like I was just like, I needed my family. I needed my parents. I needed to live in my parents' house and be taken care of. Like I needed that. So I just left and my husband had jobs. So he stayed. Um, and eventually he came and we spoke and he brought me back to America. We reconciled. Um, and, and then I started, I started questioning by then my son was six months old and I started just like asking, learning, like literally keeping nothing, literally no intention of ever keeping anything, but just intellectually, I started looking into it mainly because I decided that if my father and my husband keep it, there must be something to it because they're both really smart. And, um, I started, it was all very intellectual. It was very up here. And then when my son was eight months old, so two months after I came back, I found out I was pregnant and like, I don't like talking about it because it's so insensitive and, 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 um, it can be really triggering to people, but I didn't, it, I couldn't have this pregnancy. Like my doctor was like, you are going to die. If you give birth, you can't give birth. And I was like, what the hell? Well, like, why were you going to die? I can't, I can't give birth. Like my body is not, I've never recovered fully ever. So my body is not strong enough to create, feed, and sustain a baby for nine months while sustaining me for nine months and then have the energy to push that baby out, feed that baby, and recuperate. 
just, it, it doesn't, my body just doesn't have it and it, it just doesn't. Um, so I was told to get an abortion and I was very angry because I didn't want to get an abortion. And I was like, what the hell? Like, I, I'm like, I was, what the heck? Like at that point, I just started like yelling at Hashem. I was just like, you, what is wrong with you? Like, what the heck? Like, there's 7 billion people in the world. Do you want anybody else that you could torture? Like, it has to be me. Like, what is going on? And I was like, I like, sometimes I feel like his pipes are blocked for some people. So, like, it all comes on another person. And it's like, can you, like, even it out, like, a tiny bit? It was, like, really intense. Totally feel you. Yeah. And I just started screaming and yelling and cursing and crying for, like, three hours straight. I was like, I hate you. F you. You, you suck. I'd rather die than be in your world. Like you created this world just to play with us. Like I, I was mad. I was mad. I think my husband thought I was losing it. I was. Um, and I was like, I was like, you know what? You put the baby in there. You take care of it. It's not my responsibility. I didn't put the baby in there. It's not my responsibility. I have nothing to do with this baby. Like it's not my responsibility. I'm not getting an abortion. I'm not birthing it. Nothing. It's your problem. And I fell asleep and I had the most ridiculous dream where like I was going from like doctor to doctor and they were like wheeling me from room to room. And, and I was like begging someone to tell me what was going on and nobody would talk to me. And then I finally pulled a nurse down by like her stethoscope and I was like, am I pregnant or not? And she was like, not anymore, dearie. And I was like, what? You weren't supposed to kill it. You were just supposed to tell me if I'm pregnant. And I screamed and I woke up from the scream and I had a uh, miscarriage. Like I was, I was bleeding. So that was kind of the moment where I was like, oh, like he's listening, like he's here. And that's when it started going from intellectual to emotional. And it started going more. Can I just say that I want my moment? Yeah. Did you ever scream? Yeah, I definitely screamed. But I don't think I've ever had my moment. And I think it's really remarkable to have a moment like that. I don't think everyone gets that. I don't think everyone gets it. And the only reason I share my story is because I think it happened to me so I can share it. For sure. Because I talk a lot. So I was like, this is a good one. (laughs) (laughs) I talk a lot too. (laughs) So you're going to get your moment. I'm 100 sure of it. Like I have no doubt in my mind that like I'm going to be quieter at your wrist. (laughs) You're going to be quieter? The only person I would ever be father for. For everyone else, it's an insult. They ask me, I'm like, leave me alone. Put me in my bed. I was actually telling somebody this week because whatever, there was a father situation and I wanted to be father at this specific birth because we were very close at the time and they didn't end up making us father. I'm like, I really don't like to be father a lot of the time, but if I'm really close to you, at least ask the question, you know, like the right. question like if you're my sister and you make somebody else the father at your son's birth like it's not nice it's just nice like i'm like it doesn't mean that i want to be father all the time i definitely don't when i get messages of like do you want to be father at so-and-so's random birth that you've never met in your entire life and it's their ninth kid i'm like hell no. no but like if it's my sister or my brother or whatever i'm like nine months pregnant with shira i went to the mikvah i had a friend who was struggling and I went to the mikvah on her mikvah night and I dunked before her and I dominated for her in the mikvah. And she got pregnant that mikvah night. And I was like, okay, okay, that's cool. That's cool. I never heard of it. And she asked me and I was like, sure. And then it was very cool. Wait, but that's uh, interesting also because that could have been like, I mean, I guess it wasn't like as personal, but that also was a, 
that's a smaller moment from Hashem that's like, okay, so I've had these moments a lot ever since, and I've learned what it is. Okay. So it's complete and total, like, like complete giving up, passing the baton to Hashem, but like so completely. And if you don't fully, fully, a thousand million percent say, I'm done. It's up to you. I'm done. It doesn't work. But I've had it a few times. Like I had it when we moved to Paramus. That like we put in an offer in seven different houses. And I was like, oh my God, everybody was outbidding us. We had no time because the people's house we were living in was coming back. Like we're going to be freaking homeless on the street. I'm so done. I have a beautiful house in Pomona. Why are we even in Paramus? And at the time, like we, I was having issues, like acclimating to the community, you know, like transitions, new things are always hard. And I was like, this is ridiculous. Why am I here? Like, let me just go back to Pomona. Like, why am I struggling? And I went, I'm like, there was a house that I wanted and we lost it on Friday afternoon. And I was so mad. I went out to the park. It was pouring rain. I'm not even joking. I laid down on the floor on the grass and I just like let the rain go on me. And I was like, I'm done. Like, I'm so done. I don't know what you want from me. I don't know what you want me to do. Like, I don't know. And I cried. And then I was like, you know what? If you want me to live in Paramus, you find me a house. I'm done. You find me a house. You want me to live here. I deleted Zillow. I unsubscribed from Zillow. I deleted my broker's number. I was like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm not even like, I'm not even looking for a house anymore because I'm so freaking done. And I have a house in Pomona. If you want me to live in Paramus, like you find me a house. And I came home. I showered. It was like Shabbos. I had seven guys in my house for Shabbos. They were like, what is wrong with this woman? I had like swollen eyes. And then because also like I got into a huge fight with my husband because he was the reason we lost the house because he like bartered on like 100k and I was like oh my god just pay the damn money we need a house we're gonna be homeless and he was like I'm not paying I'm not overpaying for a house like it's not happening and it was like a whole thing anyways Monday morning like literally Monday morning 9 a.m some random broker calls us and she's like um I have a client who wants to sell their house but they don't want to go to market they don't want a whole bidding war they just want to sell the house if you can come see it today and put in an offer today, your offer will be accepted today. And I was like, how much are they looking for? And she said a price that was below any other house that we had looked at. And we looked at the house. We put in the offer. It was accepted the same day by Monday night. We were in contract. Wow. That's crazy. This is the house. <laughs> like you're just like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Like I can't, let's say like, I can't keep going to IVF. I can't keep doing this, these different pain things. I can't keep going to a hundred different doctors, a hundred different rabbis. Like I can't, I can't do it anymore. I want a baby. Give me a baby. Enough. Like I'm, I'm, it's in your hands. If I'm supposed to have, if there is a neshama up there that is supposed to be my child, you make it happen. I'm done. And it's like, it, it comes from a place of like absolute desperation. And like, you're just like, I've done all I can. Like I have done all I can. And it comes, it's like a clarity. It, but it, it's just so hard because I'm just like, I feel the same way. And I'm like, and I've said that, like, what do you want me to do? But like, it's not happening. And it's so hard, you know, it's this it's feeling very, of like, very hard, you know, like sometimes I feel like Gideon and I will just be like above a cherubi one day and just not have children and just figure out another way to live. Like, a different way to impact the world it comes to a point where you're just like he runs the world so he's gonna run it however he wants to run it great and like i'm just gonna give in yeah because i'm trying to control it 
I'm not being successful and I'm just going to give in. And like For sometimes sure. there's people in your life who are really difficult people and then you try to change them or you try to figure out how to have a relationship with them or you try to figure something out. And then you're just like, I'm not going to change that person. I'm going to have a relationship with however I can have a relationship with them because I'm not going to change them and they're never going to change and they're never going to be who I want them to be. So let me just meet them where they are. And it's the same thing. It's like you don't have control. I don't, I didn't, I didn't have control over almost anything in my life. I don't have control over most things in my life, but it's more of like, my therapist said this to me once. She's like, every single thing is a choice. Everything's a choice. You have a choice. She's like, you have a choice to go back to Israel. You're choosing your husband over Israel, but you technically have a choice. Nobody's holding you hostage. You could get on a plane and go. You just are choosing your husband. Like everything is a choice. And like in that moment, you're just like, I choose you. Like, I choose God. Like, I choose whatever you want because I, like, tried to control this way too much and I can't. For sure. No, I I, I really feel that. And, yeah, there's, you know, sometimes there's just no words for, like, your, you know, challenges. And you're just like, I just, you, 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 you run the world, God. You do what you've got to do. Running it anyways. Yeah. <laughs> just whatever. I'm done. Exactly. No, 100%. 100%. So um, one of the things I also would love to hear about it is more of your, I don't know if you want to talk about it, but your chronic illness. Um, is that something- talk about it, but I don't know so much what to say because I still am in the process of figuring it out. But I have like this situation that's just like, um, we could talk about it. I could try so, I mean, one of the reasons why I think it's important to talk about chronic illness is because even though it's one of those topics I feel like it's very challenging to talk about, um, somebody reached out to me a bit ago and was like, there's not enough people that are Jewish influencers that talk about chronic illness. Um, and ever since then, it's really hit me like this is something that we need to talk about. And so I think it's important to at least shed light on our experiences dealing with chronic illness. I know that, you know, when we went out to Greg's, you um, told me that you were celiac, right? No, my daughter. My daughter is celiac. But you're also gluten-free, no? I am sugar-free and white flour-free and alcohol-free. I'm alcohol-free too, but for different reasons. <laughs> um, but anyway, so... What has that been like since you've been dealing with the whole diagnosis process and dealing with, um, you know, it started with the birth of your son, right? Well, it started actually when I was a little girl, which like only lately I've like started suddenly like put it all together. But um, the heart, there's two things about it that is super duper hard. First of all, I don't know what it's like in Israel, but in America, it is really, really hard to get good medical diagnosis like they don't check for things you have to ask them to check for things it doesn't make any sense i would have no medical degree i do not know things and i would go to the doctor and the doctors would be like looking at me like i went a year without a period and i had a doctor look at me and look at my chart and say oh well it says here you got your period every month and i'm like i don't care what it says on my chart i don't and she was like well your labs predict your blood test says that you are a regular whatever. And I was like, what do you think is happening? You think I don't notice? Like, you think I didn't know? Like, it's my body. 
I'm here. I tell you, it didn't come. And she was like, well, I... Especially the from Jewish woman. No, it was just... Yeah, she was like, well, you know, you have children. I'm like, my, my baby's five. Like, what do you want from me? And like, whatever. And so that's like one thing that just like was really frustrating. And the reason that I now have started getting answers is because I called my father. Just like, I was just like, I cannot do this anymore. Like, the second really hard part of it is that there are so many expectations of from Jewish women, especially if you are in the public eye on Instagram or whatever, like your house should be clean. You should always be hosting. You should always be cooking beautiful meals. You should always look perfect and your marriage should be perfect and your kids should be matching. And like, there's just so much pressure on a Jewish woman and the amount of holidays and parties and birthday parties and Chavez's and like oh my god and then you also have the fundraisers and all the events and it's like there's so much pressure and if you have something that's causing you to be in bed three out of five days of the week like you are not keeping up with the pressure and like sometimes like I would drive my kids home from school my kids go to school 40 minutes away because my husband wants them to go to Muncie school so we live in Paramus so I drive 40 minutes a char no they they're in a terrace a terrace base Yaakov my daughter goes to the same school I went to wait wait time out why the heck do your children go to Beis Yaakov if you're so not into Beis Yaakov? I'm, I'm not into Israeli Beis Yaakov systems. But okay. Paris Beis Yaakov is a out-of-town Beis Yaakov, and it is a very good school. My son goes to Hasidish Cheder. He speaks Yiddish. He has payas. He's adorable. Um, and I drive 40 minutes there and back. So it's an hour and 40 minutes, or an hour and a half, I don't know, whatever, hour, 20 minutes each way, twice a day. And it's a lot. And like, I have times where I'm literally driving through a migraine and I like can't, can't see. And I'm like moaning. I'm like, Oh my God, I can't move. I can't move. I can't move because I don't have a choice. Like who else is picking on my kids? Like I don't have a choice. And there's like all these pressure on us. Like I have strep that not had strep until this morning, but I woke up yesterday morning. I woke up Friday night. I didn't feel good. Okay. It's like rainy and gross outside. So, okay. I went to shul Shabbos morning. I ran youth groups for four different age groups. And I do the kiddish. And we go to someone's house for Shabbos lunch. Like, I don't get to stop just because I don't feel good. And, like, that's when I called my dad. And I was like, I can't keep up with everything and also feel like this garbage. Like, I can't. And and also, like, all the comments, people thinking that I'm pregnant. People saying, Rashad told it to me. But really, it's just because, like, I have a belly because I don't get my period. So, you get a belly. Like, that's just what it is. And... Like, people just, like, saying stupid comments. I'm like, they hurt. And I don't want to hear those comments anymore. And, like, shut up. No, don't ask me what I'm doing. For sure. Larry said to someone on Hanukkah, I was like, just donuts. <laughs> but whatever. And my dad was like, you need a functional medicine doctor. And he found me a doctor. And I went to her. And she sat with me for two hours and took down my whole medical history from when I was a baby. And she actually connected a thread. And she actually figured out. Like she has a theory that we're testing now and we're going to see if it is it. She actually was like able to find something that would cause all of the symptoms. Instead of trying to cure my symptom and give me medicine for a migraine and give me pills that would bring on a period and give me iron for energy and, and try to cure my symptoms, she was like, okay, let's just, let's just figure out the cause. Where is this doctor? She's in New Jersey. Oh, you went in New Jersey, not in Israel. Yeah, no, he found me someone in America. Wow, that's awesome. Because of Israel. And my father had diabetes and he like actually managed to take care of it using Chinese medicine. Wow, cool. 
Is that so not like, to be on the podcast? Yeah, he's very proud of it, I think. But he's just like, meaning like, I'm not saying Western medication is bad. It's good and it's necessary. But I, I just believe in like a holistic approach where you use both because sometimes Western medication is just not, it just doesn't have the answers for you. No, I, I totally agree with that. And I think that that is very important to remember. I think that's hard part of it and I think that's what this girl was getting at is just that it's really hard to be a Jewish mom from mom when you don't have energy because like there's just so many expectations yeah like there's so many expectations of you and you're just like even if you're not a mom like even if you're just hosting if you're just running a house you're hosting meals you're you're like there's so much like every if you're involved with your school like there's just so much to do I mean What's interesting is that people always ask me, whatever, like, I'm a freelancer. Um, and people ask me tomorrow, like, why don't you just work a full-time job? And I'm like, if I worked a full-time job, it would be almost impossible. Like, I'm exhausted from fertility treatment. I'm supposed to be doing... I have to take off all the time to go to the doctor. Great, but I'm, I'm saying I'm supposed to be doing seven, eight, nine retrievals and transfers and then also on top of all of that, be working a full-time job, like, it's it's almost impossible, you know? Like, what? No, but I do. <laughs> I do work a full-time job. And it's like, how in the actual universe am I supposed to do this? Like, this doesn't make any sense. And you need to, you need to, you need to figure it out. You need to cure. You need to, you need to, if you can't cure it, you need to figure out how to manage the symptoms. You need to figure out how to have a normal life. Like, it's not. 100%. And I think part of having a normal life is figuring out how to work and live and be and you know all that that works in your schedule right like and and figures out how to work with you and your body like you know it's not possible for me to start a job at seven in the morning like I'm not going to be able to do that I'm not a morning person if you wanted me to work until 2 p.m 2 a.m at night maybe I could do that but I'm not like it's very hard for me in the morning I don't know how I push myself at night but like I can push myself. I just... In the morning, you, like, start making excuses. You're like, nothing's as important as my pillow right now. Well, I don't even think of that. I, like, wake up with all the hormones, and I'm like, like, what? Like, you know, you just feel like you, like... I mean, I never had, like, a hangover before because I don't drink. But I feel like it was the same thing as, like, having a hangover. You're like, and it's so bright. You know? I don't talk to me. Why are people talking to me? <laughs> That's exactly it. And I'm such an extrovert, but talk to me at seven in the morning and I might smack you. You know? <laughs> I know. <laughs> exactly. Yep. So, Kayla, we really spoke about a ton. Um, and I have been so happy to have you on. I have three questions to end with before we wrap up. The first question is, what is one way that you believe that the Jewish Orthodox community can be a more accepting and welcoming place? Um, honestly, I think we just have to like expand our horizons. Like like with this podcast? Yeah. Like people are very afraid of people who aren't exactly like them. And like people will tell themselves that, oh, I'm so accepting and I accept all different ways of life and I understand. But really, like their version of accepting is accepting somebody who's slightly different than them like just a little bit and I think that if we can like really expand our horizons and open our open our lives and our experiences to people who are different than us and really get to know them and see that they're actually not that different then 
I think that it would really change the way that we treat them. I completely agree. One of the parts of having this podcast is because it's so important to shed light on the fact that A, not everyone fits into this mold, right? Like almost no one does. Yeah, 100%. Like growing up, you know, you go to Bruria, Michlala, Stern, you get married to a rabbi, and then you live in your nice little house in Teaneck, and then you do the same with your kids. And somehow you make a ton of money, even though your husband's a rabbi. Um, you know, I think that that's like what I always thought life was going to be like. And, and my life isn't like that. Like, it's not like that at all. Um, and, you know, yes, I live in your mom, Beit Shemesh, right? So if you want to do the Israeli version, you know, I mean, semi-Israeli because, you know, everyone grew up in America. But, okay, so you grow up, you go to Buria, you go to, <laughs> you go to Michalai, you go to Stern. And then you make Aliyah, you know, after, you know, five years, yeah. five year plan, exactly. you know, and it was- oh, but the thing is that like everybody, like I'm an interior designer and I have a lot of clients in Monroe and it's very interesting. I have clients in Monroe, clients in Muncie, clients in Brooklyn, clients, Chabad clients all over the world. And like, you always start off and I do this, like you start off with a certain stereotype in your head about what this person is going to be like, and then you get to know them and you realize that they're not like that at all. And they're actually way more similar to you than you realize. And like, gets to that point where like you stop having that stereotype in your head and like, you just have to get to know, like, you you really think that you know, but you don't know. 100%. On an individual level, you do not know people, and you need to get to know them, and you need to open your horizons, expand your borders, open your home, open your social media, open your show, like, get out and know the world. And people don't do it because people are afraid that they're going to influence their kids, or they're going to this, or they're going to that. Like, well, let me tell you, it will make your kids stronger. I know. I grew up in an open home. I grew up in a home where everything, everybody was there, and it made us stronger. A hundred percent. That's really an important lesson. So the other question that I had for you is, is there a quote or a pusuk that you feel speaks to you that keeps you going on an everyday basis that, you know, when things get really tough, you just say it over and over again in your head or out loud. Like, is there a pusuk or a quote like that? In my kitchen, in huge. It says, I do my best, Hashem does the rest. Nice. I live my whole life by that. Nice. Beautiful. Can't do more than my best. 100%. You know, now to wrap up, the last question is, uh, what do you, for somebody listening to this podcast, what is your message? What do you want to conclude this podcast with? What do you want people to know after listening to this podcast? I think that people have, like, things that they're stuck on. Like they're stuck on what a relationship with Hashem is supposed to be or they're stuck on what their marriage is supposed to be or what their life should have been or what Judaism should be. Like just take all the should be's and like throw them in the garbage and just start over. Just start fresh. Where you are is where you should be. And within the place where you are now, learn about a connection to Hashem in your own way. Not what you think a connection to Hashem looks like, but in your own way, in your soul, inside, how can you connect to Hashem? Because once you connect to Hashem in a real, real, real authentic way, everything else falls into place. Maybe not the way you wanted it to, but clarity-wise. Like, you become okay with it. And I really think that, like, we have all these hang-ups, and we need to take the hang-ups away, and we need to just start fresh. 100%. I completely agree. So, Kayla, to end the podcast, I know that you shared your contact information in the beginning 
Um, so we don't have to do that again. But um, I just wanted to say thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. It was a pleasure having you on. As always, I love speaking with you. You are such a fun, inspirational person. And I'm so glad to be able to call you my friend. Yeah, it's nice hanging out. We should do this more often. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Anything But Traditional. It was a true pleasure having my friend Kayla Haber-Goldstein on this week. We discussed so much, and I hope that you guys enjoyed it. It was really a chilled-out conversation with just two friends that get each other, understand each other, both had crazy lives, and I hope that you guys can take something away from it. We spoke a lot about God and our relationship with God and what it means to really believe in God, be religious, and so much more. There's so much here. So if you've ever been on a religious journey, if you've ever explored religiosity, if you've ever explored Judaism, Kayla Haber-Goldstein is the way to go. Definitely follow her on questioning the answers on Instagram. And of course, be in touch with me. DM me. Share your thoughts in the question box to unpack this episode. There's a lot here, and I'm here for you. I'm always here for you. You're never alone. You don't have to unpack this by yourself. So let's do it together. Tales of Tomorrow on Instagram.com. Head over there and uh, let's talk. Also, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And be in touch if you want to sponsor an episode, if you want to get a dedication or an ad. There's a lot of different ways to do so. There's a lot of different occasions and businesses that I'm happy to support with this podcast. So please be in touch if this is relevant to you. Looking forward to speaking with you. All the best. Until next time.